Welcome, friends, to another episode of Sober Speak. I'm sitting here with my friend Andrew A., and I have asked Andrew to read. Uh, what I've been doing lately is uh, I asked uh, some of the guests to uh, pick out something that is uh, important to them, some sort of reading from the literature uh, that they want to come in and share with the world. So, Andrew, I'm going to let you go ahead and read what you want to read right now. Yeah. Here we go. So the more we become willing to depend upon a higher power, the more independent we actually are. And that's from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Read that one more time. I like that. The more we become willing to depend upon a higher power, the more independent we actually are. Ah, very nice. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so, friends, once again, at Sober Speak, you will find podcasts of people sharing their uh, story of recovery, much like you do in an AA speaker meeting. These men and women tell us about their story centered around the 12 steps of recovery. My name is John M., and I am an alcoholic. I'll be the host of this episode. Uh, we welcome all of your comments. Uh, you can get in touch with us by going to Sober Speak. Dot com, or you can email me directly or email us directly at feedback at soberspeak.com. And uh, Soberspeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Please remember that we do not speak for any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope of recovery. For those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want and leave the rest on the curb. So, (laughs) I'm going to do this again. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Andrew was not able to... He did not listen to last week's... uh, uh, podcast, which I'm glad because I get to surprise him here a little and he doesn't know this is coming up and Andrew, we are going to play a little game of AA Trivia! Alright! <laughs> so, here we go. His arms are crossing over his chest. He's getting a little nervous. He's getting a little red there. Okay, so the first question here is, what is it's a multiple choice question, okay? So, what is the grapevine? A, a small magazine put out by AA. B, a song by Four Tops. C, a method of doing the four-step. D, a name given to the holding of hands at the end of the meeting. What is the grapevine? It's a small magazine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> and the commercial song for the California grapes. Oh, that's right, right, right. <laughs> the, the, the grapevine, that's right. Okay, so when did Bill W. and Dr. Bob meet? This is a year question, okay? A, 1945... B, 1939, C, 1935, or D, 1901? I'm going to go with always guess C. C, yes, you are correct. I'm kidding. I have no clue. I know it was before 2000 because I've been using their material ever since. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that was uh, 1935. That's when they met. Okay, here's another question. Who was the nun who really helped AA in the Akron hospitals? A, Sister Ignatia, B, Sister Teresa, Teresa, excuse me, 
C, Mother Superior, or D, Gidget? <laughs> I'm going to go with A. Hey, Sister Ignatia, you are correct. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Uh, just two more here. When did Dr. Bob get sober? This is a date. A, February 14th. B, June 10th. C, July 20th. D, July 21st. Man, C and D are too close together. I'm going to go with B. It is B, June 10th, yes. So if you combine B and then the, the other question I asked you, that is the birthday of AA, June 10th. That's what I figured when they do the big guy. Uh, is that when they do the big convention also? Around June and July? Uh, right. I think it's usually around July, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they do it on the exact same day. If you've ever been to Dr. Bob's house up in uh, Akron, no, Ohio, ever been there? Well, if you go up the stairs, it's very interesting. They have 12 steps to lead up to the house. Yeah. Now, that was built after the fact. Right, right. right. Yeah, it wasn't... <laughs> Serendipity. Right, right, right. 12 <laughs> steps. And uh, they have a, uh, a copy of of the Bible out in the living room where him and Anne, uh, his wife, and some other people used to gather around and they would read from the book because they didn't have a big book, right? They didn't have a daily meditations, anything like that. Right. Uh, daily reflections, excuse me. Um, and they would sit there and they would read from the Bible and they have it open to what well, was one of Anne's favorite verses and that was from uh, James, uh, Faith Without Works is Dead, which is in our yeah. book. So anyway, very interesting. All right. This is the last one. Why are we, Alcoholics Anonymous, anonymous? A, if somebody relapsed, they didn't want people to think it was because AA didn't work. B, to keep egos in check. Nobody can be Mr. or Mrs. AA uh, if they want to. C, because an alcoholic was a disgraceful thing when AA started, or D, all of the above. Man, I think it'd be D. Yes, it is D. Yes, you got a hundred percent. We are proud of you. Say we are proud of you. Hey, hey, hey. All right. So now we're going to get on with the interview. First of all, Andrew, go ahead and let everybody know how long have you been sober uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous? I'm coming on eighteen years now. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. 18 years, that's a long time, my friend. Yeah, I don't think about it that much, but yeah. Yeah, I remember when I used to see people when I came in that were sober 18 years, and I would think, that's impossible. Yeah, I was just trying to make it to the next day. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, even 90 days seemed huge. It did. 30 days seemed pretty big. I mean, I came in and out a lot. I never got more than, like, 30 mm -hmm. days at a time. Yeah. And that was more just white knuckling it just to prove to myself that I could do a month and then we would celebrate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we could start again. Because <laughs> celebrating felt so wonderful. Right. Yeah. And then you said we could celebrate. So I've heard you talk a lot about what you call these committees in your head, right? Yeah. And I think you have even names for the characters. Uh, sometimes you talk about somebody who comes out from the coffee room in a break or something yeah. like that. Uh, tell me about your committees. Well, it's when I first got sober... You know, I heard the term committee, and it I, I didn't understand what they were talking about. You know, at that stage in time, I was I thought I was my thoughts. I was believing everything I was thinking. I mean, it's uh, I thought that's who I was. I'd, and probably added to the whole being lost emotionally as far as if if I was my thoughts and then to, to be, you know, continuously getting drunk and not being able to stay sober. But bottom line is time 
went on and I started hanging out with the committee and paying attention to the thoughts and being very uh, conscious of what I was thinking, mm-hmm. more often than not, I was thinking, who thought that? <laughs> so you're like anything. outside, like I'm outside looking in saying, who thought but, that? Yeah. Where did that come from? Uh, I can't, I know I read this somewhere, but it was talking about the voice in between your ears and... Mm-hmm. The way they said it is, you will all have a voice in between your ears. And if you don't believe me, it's the one that just said, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, damn, I guess I do. And, uh, but that voice, you know, it wasn't constant. I had a committee and sometimes, you know, I could, I could be going through something and I would be very conflicted. And part of me was just relax, Andrew, it'll pass. And then there's other part of me that was just aggressively wanted to get it done, find a resolution and move on. And so I would have different personalities. It was very schizophrenic. But the only thing that was common was me looking at, look, from the outside, looking in and thinking, damn, I really am crazy. But then I started talking about it and people would go like me too. And I was like, oh shit. So if we're all crazy, then I'm normal. <laughs> black is the new, you know, orange is the new black. I don't know what the deal was, but I started, I got into meditation quite a bit. And uh, one of the meditations I remember doing was, um, you know, you just, you're in a school bus and one of the children comes out of the school bus and that child is you. And then you have a conversation with that child. And that was one of the first times where I always had General Patton. I mean, I always had this guy with the helmet sitting in front of the American flag with his riding boots telling me to get my shit together and quit being such a wimp. Uh, and, uh, but then there were these other voices and I wanted to meet them. And uh, this one was, I had heard, I think it was Think and Grow Rich, where some of these guys had committees that they would enlist to help them come with decisions, you know, mastermind. And once I got, once I got sober, I didn't start this. It was when I started seeing some success I kept digging into it more and more and more and got into reading pretty few, just aggressively. And um, that's where this whole thing was born was, okay, so let's get a mastermind. And so this little dude walks out. He looks like me. He's wearing a biker jacket and he's pissed off. He's got sunglasses on and he's flipping people off. <laughs> How old and, is he? Uh, he had to be maybe like 12. Okay. And uh, I call, you know, I, I, and I knew that... Er- Everything you, whatever behavior you're going through is positive by intent. That was something I learned the more I, the more I studied. So I don't really go out and hurt myself. I'm doing something that's bringing me either helping me avoid pain or bringing me pleasure immediately. So it is a positive intention. You know, cancer is a positive thing. It's trying to grow. Mm-hmm. And so it might not have positive effects, but the point is, is for that cell as it is, it is just growing. Why was that 12-year-old so pissed off? He was defending me. So it was always defending me. And I had to sit there and have a conversation with him that was non-threatening where I wasn't trying to stuff him because the behavior was the wrong thing at the wrong time. But it was more accepting him of, look, man, I appreciate you being here for me. Um, Thank you for trying to protect me. And look, if shit gets really out of hand, I'll call on you. But you can't just come out whenever you want. And so I develop a bond with him. Um, what I found out later is really at around 12, uh, actually at a younger age, I went through some trauma. 
and I had a psychiatrist kind of help and go like, look, this is sometimes this shit happens at an age and that's the impression you have. And you go through life with this impression at that age. And so, I mean, I'll get into that here in a bit. And so, but that's one of them. So I got Patton, I got, uh, you know, Angry Andy and um, man, I love to eat and I eat just like I used to drink. <laughs> wait, 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 so, wait Who's Angry Andy? Angry Andy's an eleven-year-old. Oh, okay, that came out. So we we came up. You know, I asked him what his name was. Um, I mean, most people probably listening to this going like, "Dude, dude, (laughs) dude got sober and he clearly went on the weed maintenance program." But no, I haven't touched anything. I just figured have fun with it. Then, uh, then I met uh, Ashley. That's my female energy one, man. Ashley loves to eat cupcakes and cake and you know anything sweet. So anytime I go binge eating, it's Ashley's running the control board. <laughs> She's on the master board, and we're just stuffing ourselves with pretty much anything that's gooey, chocolatey, or caramel-like. So, you know, she's a messy eater. Then um, <laughs> then I have uh, Horny Drew. Horny who? Horny Drew. Drew. Horny Drew. Well, I guess that, I can kind of... <laughs> yeah, that one right there, we got to keep in check, you know, because in this program, it's like, it's very easy to go like, well, I'm not drinking, so I'm going to go do all this other bad shit. And so, you know, anger was a big one. Overconsuming was a big one. Everything is about just getting away from me. So you could figure out who Horny Drew was. And so he and I do talk. <laughs> We're just like, dude, not now. This is not going to work out. This is not appropriate. This is not going to work out right now. I mean, it's, you know, it's just a fucking lingerie commercial. Like, relax. <laughs> you know, just having these reactions to anything and everything. Um, and what it does is it just allows me to separate me from me. You know, because if I thought all that shit was true... He's pretty crazy. And I have to let that energy flow. And I've learned that through plenty of years in sobriety. I think that is what got me drunk is all these energies and insecurities and, you know, are in me. But I just don't know what to do with it. I don't even know what they are. You know, I just know that I'm in agony, you know, and especially when I'm judging my insides based on somebody's outsides and they, they appear to have their shit together. Right. You know, when people would come up to me and go like, man, you really got your shit together. I was like, ah, you need new glasses, man. Like, I don't know. You know, maybe you are. Maybe you won't pass a drug test because. But I, you know, I was thinking they could see in between my ears as clearly as I could see in between my ears. Um, But the angry. Angry Andy, you know, this is uh, I mean, this is a, a nice deep dive very quick into this conversation, but. Uh, you know, I grew up in South America mm-hmm. and uh, it's in Caracas and it was like New York City. And I was sexually abused by a 14 year old when I was about six. And um, I remember it happening. I remember a lot of shame with it. Uh, I remember my mom beating the shit out of me when she found out about it. As if, you know, so this stuff I had, I carried with me. And so where Angry Drew came from was that's when I really picked up an affinity for aggression and fighting. And uh, I didn't know it then, but I lived a very long piece of my life that way. And um, the way it actually came unglued is about 10 years ago, I was in the kitchen talking to my six-year-old son and uh, I realized how innocent he was And 
I realized that's the age I was when that happened to me. And I had been living all these years holding myself responsible. But the truth is, is that I was just an innocent child. And that was the first time I was able to visualize me through him. And here I was, you know, 30 plus years later, still calling myself the names I called myself as a six-year-old. Faggot, wimpy, pussy. And uh, if my son called me those, I would laugh. You know, it was a six-year-old calling me that. Like, what the fuck do you know? Mm. But yet, Andrew, the six-year-old, I was taking him very seriously. Mm. And I had a lot of years of a lot of fighting and a lot of you just being off the reservation because the only way I was able to exercise control in an uncontrollable environment is I had to become the, the, the aggressor. And so I spent a lot of time with uh, my sponsor and then he directed me over to the, the help he uses, which is also a lady that's in the program. And um, she's the one that broke it down for me. She goes, you know, when you feel used, it's a life and death situation for you because of that imprint you had at such a young age. And she also got me to understand that God loved me. And I was of the school that if God loved you, why would that happen? And therefore his love was fickle. I wasn't, I didn't get it when I needed it, so fuck him. And when my biggest, darkest secret then and it defined me for a very long time. Now it's just something that happened. Was the fact... What do you mean, tell me with that? When you say it defined you, dive in. I was this victim of the sexual abuse by somebody older than me. And I was not going to be used again. Gotcha. And fucking people were going to use you. And it was easier to hurt them before you got hurt by them. And it was easier for me to go train myself on fighting... And it was easier for me to just call people out in parking lots. I mean, I have, it's not a jail, it's not a checkered, you know, jailhouse rock type of background, but um, I went really out of my way to project myself in a very specific way that said, just stay the fuck away from me or you're going to get hurt. Um, which was incongruent with who I am as a human being, thus causing even more turmoil. Um, but so, why I would never speak about it. That's why it defined me. It was a dark secret. It was only through allowing the energy to go through and speaking about it that now I can talk about it and what you think of me is really none of my business. You know, before I was afraid that if that got out, you would think of me what I thought of myself. And so, you know, the worst part of that was not the abuse. It was not the fact that when my mom found out, she pulled my pants down and checked me over and then started spanking me. So the person that was supposed to be protecting me fucking just compounded the abuse. I have talked to her about it openly and, you know, it was, it, she's cool, I'm cool with it. And she was doing the best she could with what she had, right? I didn't believe that then. I knew it now. I know it now. But my biggest, darkest secret there was the fact that I... The guy was, he was starting to beat me up all the time. Same guy? Yeah, yeah. It was just, I mean, I know who, I, I, we rode the same bus. 
And so when we would all be coming home, I would try to get out of the bus and just walk to the elevator quickly. But he would always just grab me and just, you know, shove me off to the side. Or if we got in the same elevator together, it was fucking scary because he would stop the elevator and then start hitting me until I pulled down my pants. And so bottom line is one time I pulled down my pants willingly. And that was the image I always had in my head of what a weak individual I was. And through working with the counselor, it's when she said, God loves you. That's why he let me do that. And I was crying because it's not the kind of love that I would expect somebody would give. But she explained to me that it was survival. And when I was able to project towards my son that if he was going through this kind of abuse and I was unable to help him, what advice would I give him as the beatings were getting worse and worse and worse? I would give him the same advice, which was like, look, just surrender into it. It'll be, you're gonna survive this. And that was the first time I understood love under, um, it wasn't the first time I understood love. It was the first time that I was able to fully exhale when I was talking about that experience in my life. And, uh, so with the counselor. Yeah. You know, it wasn't easy. And it's like the whole drive home. It was just like in a, in a haze. Um, I didn't talk to my wife about it. You know, I kind of, I just, I just had to take it in. I've never viewed that situation from that angle. I've never talked about that situation to that level of detail. I had never owned my part in it that I was just trying to survive. So to talk about that, because people struggle with that. When you say your part in it, I mean, I even have a hard time wrapping my head around it. What do you mean by that? I did what I had to do to survive. It just so happens that I have a very low opinion of what I did. And, but I was a fucking child. Right, you're six years old. You know? And so the decisions I made as a child were haunting me into my, my, my late thirties. And so that's where angry Drew or angry Andy comes from is that kid. Like nobody can fuck with you. And I still deal with, you know, control issues and aggression issues and anger issues like we all do, mm-hmm. you know, the fears. But, uh, you know, I finally told my wife, I told my oldest daughter. And uh, it's just funny in the sense that um, <laughs> I actually even told this Fonsi, but this is such a huge weight on my shoulders for so many years that I thought defined me. So I told them in a conversation like I'm telling you right now, and I remember this one time my wife was making coffee and she wasn't making coffee the way I wanted to make it. And I was like, look, this is how you do it. And she goes, calm down. Nobody's raping you. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what a bitch. (laughs) But it was such a diffuser. Right. I started laughing. Yeah. I think she was in shock. Clearly, I had totally gotten under her skin. You know, that that was like her go-to weapon. I can't imagine that happening. Oh, shit, man. <laughs> I, I laughed so hard. And that's when I knew that that scar tissue was just there to look at. And that was it. I no longer picked at it. 
it didn't define me. It was just something that happened. Just like maybe someday in, in the past, I ate a burger and got food poisoning. Like it was that simple. Mm-hmm. It, um, it was not easy, but it was just that simple, that change of perspective. And that uh, one of my favorite sayings from Stoics <laughs> is like the only way past the obstacle is through it. And I think that's when a lot of times See, I got hey, drunk. Hold on. The only way past the obstacle is through it. Yeah. I just want to make sure I'm soaking that in for me here. What? It, so go on. It's just squaring off and addressing it. And one of the things, even though I could call myself a liar, a cheat, and a thief, the layer underneath that is I'm a coward. And the layer underneath that is that I am afraid that that lie that I'm a coward is true. So therefore, whatever troubles me, however long it takes, now it takes much less time than it did back then, but I just look at the obstacle and go, okay, but we're gonna have to get past it. And then I go into whatever mental judo I have to get into to change my perspective so that I can get past the obstacle. <laughs> Mental judo. I have to get through it. If I don't get through it, it's always there. And it'll continue to build up. And I always look at it like, you know, that Bruce Lee saying, I'm like water. It's got to go through me. And there's a lot of things that I try to block. And I'm like, no, you just got to get through it. Just get through it. And uh, that's where, anyway, that's where that character comes from. Ashley, Patton, Horny Drew, those were just funny <laughs> ones that showed up after, <laughs> you know. But, but Angry Andy, that's the fucker we got to keep in check. There's a lot of parking lot fights that that kid started. <laughs> I, have, I have scars on my body, a few of them that I know got fixed while in handcuffs. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> the next day where I'm like... How did I get these stitches again? <laughs> you know, I wasn't blacked out. I know how it happened, but that guy, Angry Andy, will attack everything. <laughs> Inanimate objects. The fence is leaning. Angry Andy wants to go into work. <laughs> so, but that's what I, you know, if that's the root cause or that's the root cause I figured out, it doesn't matter. Now he's been labeled and he knows he doesn't have to fight everything. Um. <laughs> I, I you talked also about growing, what was the country Ecuador is that right? no in Venezuela Venezuela excuse yeah. me yeah so you grew up in Venezuela and, and and you you know wanted to do a piece of it obviously but what about just growing up how long were you there what was that like and I was there fourteen fifteen years and by the way give the uh, the uh, audience a uh, a flavor of your uh, an, an example of your Spanish speaking skills there real quick let me know what you said they they I know, let me it'll it'll flow okay. here at some point I'll find an opportune part uh, to to put it in but yeah my dad is my dad's from Oakland San Francisco area and he was an American expat working down there for in the oil or in the electrical industry and uh, my mom is from down there so that's where they met and got married and then had us and uh, we grew up down there and I grew up in a very large family. You know, a lot of machismo. Yeah. That, that really added to the whole getting sexually abused. It was not compatible with oh, how yeah. I grew up with a lot of uh, uncles who, as a small child, would pit me up against other small children. Oh, 
in uh, on the on the block and for their own amusement while they were drinking beers. They would tell me like, hey, so-and-so called you a faggot or he was talking shit about your mom. And then next thing I know, me and this kid, Chakati, I remember he was always like my favorite target. We were going at it, fist fighting. Uh, you know, so it was very, it, it was, it was very God hard. Like, all the examples I have of men are really bad. Yeah. Uh, a lot of fighters, heavy drinkers, heavy smokers, womanizers. That's how I thought you had to be as a man. Yeah. They were the ones I idolized. I never, I didn't know it then. You know, my dad being a gringo and right. being a CPA, you know, he was so mild-mannered. I wasn't, uh, he was just nothing like the guys that, that were all the fun. My <laughs> uncles would like, hey, you know, we go horseback riding. Let's go shoot a gun. You know, they'd let me drink beers, that kind right. of thing. Um, you know, the, <laughs> They would pitch you against other kids oh, yeah, in it was the like, neighborhood. It was like Fight Club, except, you know, like the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Not down in Venezuela. The first rule of Fight Club is you fight. You talk about Fight Club a lot. <laughs> and so, like, you know, I remember it was almost like, it was like cockfighting, but with little children. Right. You oh, know, they would just sit around and, and some of their friends would bring their little brothers. And then, yeah, there was a lot of... Uh, Can you imagine? You have sons, right? You yeah. Are you a son, right? Can you imagine? Oh, the, the six-year-old. Can you imagine? Taking him out into the street where you live now and pitting him up against the other no. six-year-olds. <laughs> I mean, he thinks I'm a sociopath because half the time I'm teaching him, this is where you kick, this is where you punch, this is how you elbow. And he's just looking at me going like, these are my friends, Dad. I said, yeah, but if they take the basketball from you, you should really drive your elbow into the ribcage. And he goes, we're playing basketball. They're supposed to take the basketball from me. Well, fuck them. No, you may, if they're going to take the basketball, it's got to hurt. <laughs> so my kids are looking at me like relax I mean I'm always ready for one of them to go like you're not getting raped I'm like oh, okay got it like, that's the reset button for me <laughs> oh I'm safe in my house I'm just teaching you guys how to be criminals you know I remember my, my daughter's soccer team the other this was the last time I, I, I trained for them but uh, uh, the head coach never talked to me again we were losing a game, and the other game was kind of dirty. And I was teaching the girls how to play soccer, proper South American soccer, like how to you know how to basically shoot for ankles, and how to elbow. And they were they were in like they had to be maybe like eight years old. And that coach was looking at me in horror, and I was looking at her going like, "What is wrong with you? Why don't they know these techniques? Why don't they know slide tackles? You know, just pulling the ponytail. God damn it! They put that shit in a cute little rope. Just tug on it." <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. Uh, I but yeah, I can't imagine doing that to my kids because I have done it to my kids. It's, at some point, I'm like, holy shit! I mean, I'm like teaching them how to walk around with switchblades, you know, like Pedro Navaja, you know. That's no, like, so what does that mean? Pedro Navaja is a character down there that's like a thief that just stabs people. <laughs> Navaja means you know switchblade. <laughs> you know, it's all about. I figured if I get abused, they're going to get abused. Like, that's how my world works. You know? Uh, Everyone's out to get you. Everybody feels about me the way I felt about myself. Especially down there. You know, you're a half-breed. You're half-gringo, so they're already making fun of you. And you're not... I'm not not white enough. I'm not brown enough. You know, now as a 48-year-old man, yeah, it's a ridiculous thing to talk about. But back then, when you're a child just trying to fit in, I mean, we are a fucking pack animal. And uh, that was pretty serious shit. You know, you have like what they call a criollo, which is a full-blooded Venezuelan. 
and they're better. They have bigger dicks. They run faster. They're better athletes. They ride horses better. Like that's the fantasy they have. And then you as a half breed gotta go prove them wrong. And uh, I just didn't have the positive DNA that said, hey, through effort, I'll be better. I was like, I'll just knock the shit out of you. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember soccer games happening where people would not come in my direction. They would pass the ball real quick. <laughs> I was like, I'll, you know, you can get up to three yellow cards before they kick you out. <laughs> so it was like, I got two more to go, man. How bad do you want it to hurt? And so they, uh, you know, that was the crazy thing. And then when I, uh, then when I came up here to the U.S., we moved to Oakland, California, and I didn't speak English. I didn't learn how to speak until I was 15, 14. Really? Yeah, my first day of school, I just wrote down whatever the hell they were saying, and then I went home, and my dad drew little lines in between all the words. Yeah, I, I wrote a letter for letter by letter, and I had to do everything with a dictionary next to me. Wow! And uh, God, you would not know. I mean, you speak. Yeah, very it's, good. Uh, I mean, you know, this is very good. English. I, I would, I would have no idea that you did not speak English. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of ESL. I, I'm a big fan <laughs> of high consequence environments where get your shit straight real quick. I said, so put a white kid. You know, in South America, I'm not brown enough. And ESL, just for those who don't know, is English is a second language. Right. I said, you moved to the U.S. and you are now brown. But in Oakland, you're not brown enough. <laughs> you know, so you got to pick up English and it's fighting real quick. I mean, there's this shit I remember. I always I explained it to my kids, man. I said, tie your shoes before you walk out the house. And they're like, why? And I said, you never know when you're going to have to kick somebody or run. <laughs> they're like, dad, we live in like, like suburbia. You know, like they're trick-or-treating. <laughs> Everything is a high consequence environment for me. Nothing is. I. It's either if if I was running TSA, it's either yeah we're good to go or it's code red. Everybody's getting strip searched. <laughs> yeah, no, there were there are no colors. I don't know orange. What the fuck is that? Does that mean to stop smiling? <laughs> you know. So, um, so when I came to the U.S., that was a big thing. Just trying, trying to fit in, and that was uh, you know talking about creating personalities. When we moved up here, the fastest, easiest personality I could build was fighting. Then it was, I got into drinking pretty early on mm -hmm. and uh, drugs, mm -hmm. you know, even though it wasn't anything heavy, you know, it was, I mean, back then in like 1983, pot was pretty heavy. Mm -hmm. You know, now that I got to like flavors. You could buy them like off the menu. Right. <laughs> when these kids are over here talking about pot, I'm like, no, you don't understand what it's right. like to meet some shit that came from Tijuana and they probably blended with oregano. Right. <laughs> you know? And you had to smoke off a Pepsi can. You had to be real careful because it would cut your lip <laughs> when you pulled the lid off. Um, and so that was the fastest assimilation I could do when speaking with the accent and trying to blend in was to just go into that personality and just develop that character for myself. Yeah. Um, which yielded fantastic returns, you know, all the cute girls, you know, like me and they were kind of afraid of me or so I thought. Mm -hmm. They probably did not. But in my mind, you know, I was pretty fantastic. <laughs> and very few dudes fucked with me, so that part of it was working. And but it was it, but it was all fake, you know? It's all just avoiding what I now know, which is just, I was afraid. I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to have some friends. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, that's all it was. Yeah. I was just afraid. I'm always afraid. 
I've heard you um, make reference to your brother before, and uh, I believe there were some tragic circumstances around him, if I'm not mistaken. So, first of all, how many brothers and sisters? You said you were from a large family. How? Yeah, so in my mom has a twin sister. Okay. And so that her twin sister had three kids, and then I, her, my mom has four, okay. and we all grew up together. pretty much together. Yeah. So technically, he's my cousin. Right. I was referred to as my brother. brother. And um, man, we were all y'all growing up in the same yeah. house in Ecuador, uh, same, same area or whatever. Same area. Yeah. Uh, spent a lot. He's the guy I looked up to quite a bit. Uh, you know, probably most of my bad behaviors were. That was the example. I was always trying to Modeling impress him. him. Right. Yeah, yeah. Cigarettes, fighting. Um, how you talk to women in Venezuela is really you whistle at them and you compliment the body part. <laughs> and then you tell them what sexually you want to do to them. It's very subtle machismo. <laughs> you know, it works really well here in the U.S. Probably get your ass arrested, you know, at the Piggly Wiggly or Kroger's. You know, but... Uh, uh, a lot of clicking, wiggly, wiggly, <laughs> a lot of yeah. clicking sounds, like you know, like, like exactly, <laughs> like, like what are you doing? Are you calling in ducks? No, just get, trying to get me some women. Uh, <laughs> you know, only two buttons. The only two low buttons in my shirt work. They like a lot of chest hair, apparently. No, but anyway, um, he, uh, he got murdered. You know, he got it. He's he got uh, involved in a fight. That was not his fight. And uh, where was he in Venezuela? He was in Venezuela. Yeah. And he, um, I was sober at this time, probably about four or five years. So did he not come to the United States when you came? No, no. Yeah, he stayed with his mom right, right, down right. there. His youngest sister came up right. uh, with us. And um, anyway, no, he got murdered, man. And that was. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of alcohol that were partying. It was in a parking lot, and he stepped in between two people, and somebody shot him, and that was it. That was it. I went to work that afternoon. Yeah. It was New Year's Eve. Uh, that was a long ride into work, and yeah, there's nothing I could do. I mean, thank God I was sober. Yeah. I probably would have gotten real drunk over that. Right. I mean, I definitely had enough good fantasies running through my head where I was going to buy a plane ticket and kill somebody with a machete or hire a team of uh, spe- you know retired special forces, get a helicopter, <laughs> find a millionaire from Texas. We would all train here. I've seen several documentaries like First Blood. I thought that's how it would go down. So <laughs> we were rescuing hostages, you know, the, the oil guy, the, the oil oligarch son. Uh, yeah, so I was referencing a lot of Chuck Norris documentaries as to how I would, I would, I would avenge his death. <laughs> Um, the way it worked out was, uh, yeah, I prayed about it. I went to a meeting and I knew I was real loving towards myself that when these feelings came of just complete anger, I just had to let them go. Right. And not let them go as and deny them. I actually would just go through it though. Go through it. The fantasy would take off and I was angry Andy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to go down there and avenge. Yeah, and then I just had to sit there in sobriety and just go like, that's eh, just look at it. I wouldn't deny it. I wouldn't label it. I wouldn't do any of that stuff. That cartole is probably, you know, that uh, practicing the power of now was definitely a huge pivotal book in my spiritual growth. Yeah. Uh, where I was able to just sit down and go, okay, look, I'm totally having physical reactions mm-hmm. to something my brain is, brain is inventing. 
I could be in my study getting tense about this. My kid comes in to see if he could have a glass of milk and I'm like, what? <laughs> Don't you understand? We're fighting crime in between daddy's ears right now. There's no time for Oreos. You've talked about the dishwasher before too and people like loading the dishwasher. Yeah, you know, if I, it, I, now I know this. If I really wanted to hide liquor from my family, before I used to hide it, but if... I, I could probably put it inside the dishwasher or the washing machine. They would never fucking find it because those people don't do either one of those activities. <laughs> yeah, uh, they do do it. Right. They just don't do it up to my superb standards. You, you just said do do, by the way. Did I? Yeah, I just, just <laughs> wanted to point that out. <laughs> the Beavis and Butthead moment. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, yeah, the dishwasher. This is highbrow stuff as sober speak. Oh yeah, yeah man. I mean yeah. this is fucking classic. <laughs> they're, they're, eventually they'll they will translate this and it'll be in a leather bound book. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll only make like fifty copies. At some point, like American pickers will talk about this shit in twenty years. <laughs> American oh my pickers, god, yeah. this is sober speak. The Andrew episode. <laughs> this is classic shit. His cousins used to dress him up like a cock, and they would have small children cockfights. <laughs> <laughs> they uh anyway I got you the dishwasher no man that's like I, I have zero control I'm very powerless over my anger mm-hmm. and uh I am completely okay with taking hostages and I will either do it through volume <laughs> intimidation mm-hmm. or I'll do it through silence mm-hmm. by having air pressure problems mm-hmm. you know tss, tss, tss. <laughs> So it all depends how I want to control somebody. And the dishwasher is typically one of the ones that sets me off because I'm going like, motherfuckers, I know that my children have played Tetris. But what? They, they have played Tetris. You know, where you take shapes and the goal is to use all the space. I, you never played play Tetris? No, I'm sorry. Yeah, Tetris. <laughs> the point of Tetris is these odd shapes fall from the top of the TV screen. And you have to move them and arrange them so that they consume the most amount of solid space at the bottom oh, okay. of the screen. Just kind and of if you're really shapes. shitty at it, right. you end up with a lot of open slots <laughs> and you lose the game. Right. They're really good at Tetris. So They're really they... fucking crappy at loading the dishwasher because, you know, the way they stack it is you would have to wash it with like four dishes and two forks because the angles at which they, dis- they put them in there, like, there's all these open teeth. Like, what, you know, so... Yeah, that's a good one right there. I, I usually sing to them that Sesame Street song, like one of these does not belong with the other when it comes to laundry. Like there's two baskets. Clearly one's all white and the other one's got colors. But I have two kids that are really shitty basketball players and they keep throwing all their clothing into the white one. <laughs> and my wife is, yeah, like Patton comes out there. Yeah, Patton. Patton usually calls them down and makes them separate the laundry for me. My wife is just going like, Jesus Christ, you are just like breeding future sociopaths. You know, and of course I look at her and I was like, well, you're breeding total fucking little pussy factory. (laughs) These guys are all going to have to pick up wives that love doing housework. (laughs) You know, so, you know, my wife speaks for a living also. So our fights are like fantastic, you know, because I'm she's always yelling, don't close me. And I'm yelling at her, don't spin it because she's in PR. (laughs) So... So our kids would know how to put us against each other. Um, but anyway, yeah, the dishwasher, that, uh, if you don't take off your shoes properly, meaning, you know, put the, it's just a lot of just my AA-isms. I get it. You know, my control-isms. 
So you've talked before. I've heard you. I know this is important to you. Will you say your your weakness is your strength? Tell me about that. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, I guess we've been talking up to this point so far, you know? I mean, for several years, I thought that being the victim of sexual abuse was my weakness. Mm-hmm. And it was only when I was able to accept it and walk through it that I turned it into a strength. Um, I'm very aware of what my fears are, knowing that I'm that kind of crazy being um, powerless over my anger when it comes to like the dishwasher or the laundry. That's what allows me to diffuse myself. Um, what I learned was vulnerability was actually true strength. Um, surrendering was true strength. My high level of aggression, trying to keep myself from getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, all that really is, is just weakness in disguise. Mm-hmm. I'm a sheep in wolf's clothing. Mm-hmm. And... Once I was able to just stop pretending, then they be, what I thought made me weak is what made, actually was my strength. My ability to just acknowledge, you know, to ask for help. I never asked for help. Uh, my ability to pray to God. I didn't believe in God. I mean, I did, but, you know, unless he was showing. I've used this joke before, which is completely, totally off the, off the radar. So if you delete this... <laughs> But I said he could come down from the sky, open up his palms. I can finger fuck the hole that put the nail in there. And I'm still, yeah, I don't know. That's just how I'm wired. (laughs) That is just how I'm wired. And uh, knowing that I am that way. (laughs) Oh, I was thinking about if I have to take that. I'm not going to. No, no I'm telling you. It's, it's, it is Andrew-like, though. But anyway, knowing you're that way. Knowing I'm that way is what allows me to be that way. Mm-hmm. You know, before I was like, dude, I mean, like, lightning's going to come and kill you, or you shouldn't be getting angry about these things. I'm like, I just get angry about them. I just flow with it. Mm-hmm. I just flow with it. The pro- You know, I, I, I'm, I'm very aware that I'm not... Um, I'm not everybody's flavor. <laughs> I'm very aware that I'm able to verbalize a lot of what goes on in my head. <laughs> and uh, I have enough emotional intelligence to know by the looks I get from people, like, <laughs> holy shit, I don't know if I should shake his hand or just get out of here before the <laughs> prayer. Uh, um, but I also know that I'm just doing me. Yeah. And I thought I was my biggest weakness. Mm-hmm. On more of a lighter side here, I've been looking at your tattoos a little bit while we're uh, uh, doing this uh, podcast. Uh Are there any of them that uh, stand out to you and anything that you want to talk about or any that have special memories to you? I'm sure they all have some. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this one is the tiger's head. And, and, you know, I I follow. I have grown to really enjoy stoic, stoic type philosophy. And one of them was Amor Fati. And amor fati is you just accept your fate, however it shows up. Okay. And I'm trying to think, like, what would an example of that be? Well, the biggest one that I, the one that I always remember, especially when I'm getting off the rockers, like I could be getting all fucking pissed off that they didn't give me enough crushed red bell pepper packets in my pizza. Yeah. Like I can really make an act out of that. Like send the driver back. <laughs> um, I remember Victor Frankel, 
who was the the, uh, the meaning of man. Right. Yeah, and, and he was in the Holocaust. His whole family got murdered there. And I remember reading his book where he was working, uh, clearing a snow-covered road, and um, his shoelaces were pieces of, of wire. He didn't have the coating for it. And uh, he was talking to his wife while he was doing that, you know, in, in his imagination. Right. And that's just accepting fate as it is. I've heard this uh, said at our meetings where the guy says, you know, it's, it's God doesn't care if you drive a Cadillac or a Corolla. He just cares about your attitude if you can make the payment. Right. You know, where it's like, <laughs> it just is what it is yeah. and accept it as it is. I mean, I always remember Memento Mori. That's probably going to be a future tattoo, which is just, I could die any minute. So why the fuck am I so uptight about stuff? And then, of course, this one just says, let it go. Um, but then on the other arm, I have the one that just pretty clear says, nobody cares. Keep working. Because <laughs> I think everybody should care about what I care about. I, so what what inspired you at the time to put that that on your? Uh, do you remember? Was it? Yeah, I just well, look, and they're covered. They're around like animals, you know, like a tiger, yeah. and a bear, and it's just like, look, I'm just I'm persistent in keeping my head straight. Like in between my head, there's like a Zambozi always cleaning the ice, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's just that's all it does is just keep me leveled. And uh, some some of these sayings are just the ones that I believe in. I mean, I could really be tripping out over shit, and I said nobody cares. Shut the fuck up. And that's the guy that's in in my head and my committee. That's the dude that's wearing like a short sleeve button up shirt with a pocket protector and he's constantly holding a cup of coffee. <laughs> he's the one that keeps the rest of the monkeys in line, you right. know, because my committee's got ninjas. We don't have name for them. They just attack and start throwing stars and shit. <laughs> and um, he's the one that, you know, is always coming out of the break room going like, what the fuck? I cannot leave these guys alone for a minute. That's the one that says this. Nobody cares. Just shut up and go. You know, he looks like a NASA administrator. <laughs> All right. One of the subjects I want to cover it is as actually well, two things actually. You have to explain the word. I've heard you say this word, muffin top, before. I had never heard that word. <laughs> That's Ashley's word. So, Ashley. Ashley. Yeah. Yeah. It just basically means when the fat rolls over the top of your pants. <laughs> You know, so it, I could actually get healthy and uh, do this or I could mask it. So I always mask my muffin top. <laughs> Ashley fucks up. We have a bunch of cupcakes. And next thing you know, I got to buy XXL shirts. <laughs> you know, which is, I think a lot of what keeps me sober, man, is just humor. Right. It, and, you know, for something to be funny, it has to have a truth right. and it has to have pain. Mm-hmm. And I hated the truth because it was painful. Mm-hmm. Nothing in my life has changed other than I'm just a practicing sober member of AA and I do the steps and I work with sponsees and I journal and I meditate and I keep my head in check. The Zambozi's always running. Mm-hmm. That's Ashley and my muffin top and all that <laughs> shit I laugh at, you know? I can take that very, very seriously. I should look like some of the models that are on GQ magazine, goddammit. I don't know why God hates me so much that he just gave me this fucking face and my muffin top. <laughs> Fucker. I don't even know why I pray to him. 
you know, <laughs> thus explaining if he came down from the sky and showed me the holes in his pants, I am well within my rights to question his ass. <laughs> you know, he was not cool to me. <laughs> I mean, I just can't find a lawyer that would sue him. <laughs> But yeah, humor has been the big one. I remember first coming in and people laughing and that was, um, it was very serious. Everything was so serious in my life. And some things are serious, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we all have serious things, but. They do. I mean, shit, getting raped as a kid is serious. Right. You right. know, losing a brother is serious and being able, but that time's going to pass, man. At some point, and this is more with my stoic philosophy also, it's just like, like we're all going to fucking die. Like Deepak Chopra says, is the only sexual, life is the only sexually transmitted terminal disease. <laughs> you know? And at some point, and I don't know when, and it could be tomorrow, it could be as soon as I'm done here, it could be right here in this fucking chair for all I know. <laughs> well, I'm, that'd be a great ending. Well, yeah. I mean, but I have other fucking punchlines. Look, I, I brought jokes. <laughs> it was one of those where you go, I'm going to go back to wherever the fuck I was I was before I was born. Where do you think that is? Doesn't matter. Gotcha. Because I'm right here right now. Gotcha. And I don't know what the fuck that is. So, uh, one of the questions that I... This is from Tony Robbins, but you know, if you want better results, you ask better questions. And when I first came in the, in the program... Everything was very serious. Mm -hmm. It was life and death. And it was serious and it was life and death. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I found people around me that were very good examples of the big book of mm -hmm. living sober and laughing. They were my example that it was okay to laugh. When I heard of people running away from the police while they were wearing a cast. Right. You know, because they were going to get arrested for public intoxication. And I found that funny. <laughs> but the whole room laughed. Then I knew it was okay for me to think it was funny. My mistake was that I shared that story with my normal friends and none of them laughed. And I was back to ground zero and going like, holy shit, what's wrong? That's when I realized there's us and there's them. And... uh and them need a lot more time with people like us, honestly, or at least they need weekly meetings. But the point is, is that um, the humor, I was able to just laugh at my pain and laugh at the truth. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't define me. And it defined me for such a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought I was those things. Right. And uh, now it's just like, here it is, you know. Right. It's, and it's okay. Yeah. Well, I have uh, greatly enjoyed our time together. I hope you have enjoyed this as well. Yeah, it's been, uh, uh, we've, we've gone a while here. Um, is there something you wanted to add before? No, you know what? I think here? that's the one I was running to with the humor one was later on, I remember, this is Tony Robbins' staff, but he goes, you know, if you want better results, ask better questions. And I know sobriety was very serious for me in the beginning and, and clearly it needed to be. And I think it is for a lot of people, but I always ask myself, especially when my mind starts taking off on me is what would this look like if it were easy? Right. And that's a, in, in lieu of what I read at the beginning was a lot like of, what the, would the difficulty look like if you were, what, what would this look like if it were easy? And that allows me to tap into my higher power, which I believe is in, within me now, where before I thought it was external. And so, you know, going back to the reading where the more we become willing to depend upon a higher power, 
the more independent we actually are. When I ask that question and I just let my intuition and God within me answer that, mm-hmm. what would it look like if it were easy? I, my mind just starts coming up with answers that are just not as counter the texture. Mm-hmm. I stop suffering very, very quickly when I surrender to my higher self. Right. You know, I, I, I thought it was sacrilegious to say I am God, but I am God. I'm God to me. I'm not your God, but I am God to me. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm big and I am my own guru. I stopped going externally to go find the answers. You know, because what works for you doesn't, is not necessarily going to work for me, but I was so insecure that I thought if it worked for you, that was the right way because you looked happy. Right. And that, I've done that with business. You know, I've modeled my business after somebody that was successful. And then I can, when it didn't work, I was like, I suck. And there's a saying that got me really comfortable and it's a Texan saying, but you know, I am who I am. And the more I looked externally, the more separate I became from that. And this guy taught me, he goes, dance with the one that brung you. To the dance, right? Yeah. And I was like, well, fuck. Crazy brought me. Because <laughs> I'm going to have to dance with right. him. <laughs> no, that's pretty much it, man. I mean, discipline and... I mean, it's, I mean to, the, to the untrained eye, I'm sure I look like a total fucking clusterfuck. <laughs> no. Uh, it's... Uh, but I follow my process. Right. You know? And I know it works. I mean, you would have not invited me to me f- over here. No. And you can say to thine own self, be true. And I think you're very good at doing that. And uh, that's fantastic. All right. So I'm going to wrap it up here with uh, page 164 of the big book. Uh, It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit And you will surely meet some of us, hopefully me and Andrew, Mm -hmm. as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Andrew, thank you so much for being here at Sober Speak. If anybody wants to get in touch with us, uh, email us at feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at SoberSpeak.com. Bye-bye now.